we're continuing. We are family. Andy spoke to us last week about adoption. I'm going to be speaking this week about commitment. Before I get into that, though, I've got a wee story. In the past few years, if you know me, you might, have, uh, be, might be aware that I've got into uh, road cycling uh, a little bit. I'm not 100% mammal. That is middle-aged man in Lycra. Um, but I've got a few years before I, I kind of fully get into that bracket. Um, but I've really enjoyed going out for some great rides, getting to know people as I do it. And uh, just to prove it, here's a photo of me henching up a steep hill in the borders. There you go. There's me uh, cycling problem with this photo is uh, the guy in the background making it look easier than perhaps the expression on my face is. But no, I, I feel like I've, I've got into cycling well. Um, I've been f- feeling pretty good about it. I did, that, was a, that was part of a, I think, 80-mile 80, 80 round trip around the borders. Um, I've upped my average on Strava. If you know that app, it's a running and cycling app. Um, I got my head round. I recently got my head round to proper racing clip-in pedals, which has uh, been a bit hairy a couple of times. And I've quite enjoyed primarily the mandatory coffee shops down, uh, coffee stops down in Dalkeith Dobies, uh, which do a great carrot cake and uh, flat white. Um, this is all great, but I did take up the opportunity to go for a quick zip with uh, Ali Simpson, who's uh, a member of our church here, who is, um, needs to say, he's, a, he's, he's an Iron Man kind of guy. Um, but I thought, you know what? He's a gracious guy. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll help me. He'll encourage me. So one morning, I done the leggings, and I joined Ali and one of his colleagues uh, for a, a coffee trip out to North Berwick. Now, I knew Ali was fast. But I also know, as I said, he was, he's a gracious guy. And he, he, would, he would keep me, keep me, uh, me along the way. And on the way out to North Berwick, the cycling was awesome. Uh, we had a, a great tailwind. Uh, the average was up at 18 miles an hour, which is reasonably all right for a road cyclist. And uh, yeah, the, the weather cleared. And by the time we got to Steampunk in North Berwick in record time and sat down, and it was brilliant. Tons of uh, PBs on the, on the Strava app, if you're familiar with that. Um, the problem was I sat myself down next to the little wood-burning stoves that they have in Steampunk. It's a lovely uh, uh, wee place in North Berwick there. I sat myself into this comfortable armchair, and before too long, my muscles just started to get that little bit, you know, warm, a bit, bit sort of got a, got a bit uh, tensed up. And I soon, soon realized that, to be honest, getting out of that chair that I found myself in was going to be a little bit more difficult than getting into it. So we eventually got up, legs a bit stiff, got back on the bike, and as we headed towards Gullen, which is a lovely village, the headwind hit me. And as I saw Ali and Ian, they just sucked it up. They just cracked on at the same kind of pace as we'd gone out. Me, on the other hand, I was thinking, this is horrible. And as they disappeared out in the distance, my head went down, and all I could think about was that cosy spot next to the fire. What Ali then witnessed was a a full-on sandy meltdown. Now, he's got two young kids, and he 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 handled it really well, but I lost the mental battle completely. And uh, I knew I needed to get home, but I was sore, I was cold, I was grumpy, and I was looking for any excuse to take the easy option, which would have been the train home. An hour and a bit later, with my friend's help, we did make it home. 
albeit with a slightly lowered uh, average speed. And looking back, if I had flaked out, I don't think I would have had the full satisfaction of going out for a ride that day. If I'd bailed halfway through with my great PBs but got the train home, I think I'd be sitting here thinking, oh, well, I kind of bailed, you know. And I wouldn't have completed the journey and I wouldn't have had such a great time with my friends. And thank God for gracious friends like Ali. As a Christian, life can feel like we're cycling into that headwind. We know that there's a reason, we have a purpose, but we can so easily get grumpy, lose sight of where we're going and start looking for the easy options, the escape routes, returning to that cozy spot. I love this church. I love worshipping here with you. I love seeing God work amongst us as we build a wonderful family here in Edinburgh. Today, I'd love to encourage us again to commit to one another, to keep going, to get stuck into good and deep relationships, but primarily not to look at the easy options, but to remind us of the far greater hope of the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look at some scripture. I've got three points and we're going to have some time to respond. can also confirm that that will be the last photo you see of me in Lycra. So let's move on. Today I'm going to be reading from Galatians 2, 16, 20 to 21. I'm not going to look at a whole lot of this passage, but I've picked out these couple of verses. But just for context, this is a letter from Paul to the Galatians church telling him how he reminded, Paul reminded Peter, who he refers to as Cephas, uh, to, to keep going, to remember the things, the reason that we're doing uh, what it is to be a Christian. So let's read these verses together. If you've got a Bible, turn with me. So verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. As we mentioned as part of our special offering, next week we are aware of the persecution that Christianity faces around the world. We hear about churches being raised to the ground in China, hear about the the terrible things that happened in Sri Lanka, hear about missionaries being imprisoned in North Korea. However, it's slightly easy for us, for most of us, to disassociate from these things because they're not in our day-to-day. The threat feels far removed from what anything most of us would have to experience. But today, I would suggest that one of the most significant churches we face in the West is comfort. Let's have that fireside photo. So I think this is a a cozy picture. Um, My wife, Hannah, disagrees. She doesn't think there's enough cushions or blankets. But as an architect, I, I like the kind of minimal edge that, that, that has. So uh, yeah, I thought that was a comfy photo. But no, seriously, uh, comfort is an insidious idol within the church because it's not obvious. 
If we step, take a step back, we can see how the consumer-led, pluralistic, individualistic culture around us can influence our community. As we look to please this culture, we take a back seat. We don't confront it because we're chasing a comfortable path of least resistance. And when we don't confront and hold, and hold on to what makes us different, we become just like any other university, society, book group, or Reddit thread. And the pursuit of comfort can mean we look for acceptance from those who have similar preferences. Mainly because there's plenty to talk about. We won't disagree. We can similarly find it hard to accept those who aren't open to the preferences we prefer. More than ever, we are bombarded with options that suit these preferences. I get weird looks in Starbucks when I order just a a filter coffee in Starbucks. But maybe that's just because I'm being retro But if we have been bombarded with these options to suit our own particular needs at a certain time, we can start pandering to the consumer culture in how we do church and also what we look for in a church. We want good worship, but nothing weird. We expect great teaching with application. We don't want anything too boring, no niche subjects. Do we like leaders wearing check shirts? We can get caught up in the facets of church, such as what the coffee is like, how seeker-friendly our meetings are, are the kids having fun in their ministry times. And while these do have some validity in removing the blockers that allow our community to work well together and flourish, how many of these things are truly linked to the truth that binds us together as believers? Or has church and finding a church become something that is based around your own personal preferences? Now, in the passage I've just read, Paul reminds us how radically uncomfortable the gospel is. This verse tells us about how to relate to God and to those around us in a way that is totally different to the rest of society today. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Central to this Christian message which is so far removed from any other religions, belief systems or standpoints, is the crux that only through Jesus, only through Jesus' death and his resurrection, can we count ourselves righteous, only through him. As Christians, we receive the truth by trusting in him, and as we do so, we die to ourselves. We trust Jesus more than we trust our earthly, broken disposition. And as we do that, our preferences become subservient to this uncompromised truth. Where previously we had to bridge the gap to atone for our sins in the old covenant, we're in a new covenant. We understand that Jesus has forever bridged that gulf that separated us from God. He paid the ransom. He bore our shame. But in conquering death, we know that we can have eternal life through him. What a wonderful song to sing for the end of that worship time, that I might live. Wonderful. Now, if we start adding our own preferences to that gospel, we devalue the message of Jesus by putting ourselves before him. But if we understand the gospel, it challenges us to look at some different questions. Not how does the church meet, how does the church meet me where I'm at, but what is Jesus doing in this church? 
what is happening in this church for the mission of the kingdom of God and how can I be a part of it? How can I be used in this church? How can I be plugged in to advance the kingdom in this context? What has God given me to be part of that? Brett McCracken says, we have to have the posture of Jesus who came to serve, not to be served. Jesus got on his knees to serve us. Are we waiting to be served? Or are we ready to serve like Jesus? Jesus didn't just get over himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That through his death and his resurrection, we have the opportunity to simply get over ourselves. This means to cast off our sin and to say, Jesus, come and live inside of me. And in that wonderful redemptive moment, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We receive this in grace. There's no condemnation. But we understand it's by nothing we can do. It's through what he has done for us. Now, if we, being set with the gospel, die to ourselves, we do something wholly cultural, countercultural. We get over ourselves. And to help us understand what that looks like, I'd like to introduce three characteristics of a community that's committed to one another. A community of believers who have ditched the comfort and each got over themselves in Christ. So the first community I'd like to look at is a community that is loved by the Father. Do you know you're loved this morning? Do you know that you're loved by a wonderful, eternal Father? It's easy to understand that in our heads, but do we know that in our day-to-day? Do we go about our day-to-day and understand God's wonderful love for us? Here's a picture. Have you ever had an encounter with someone who has a point to prove? In my line of work, it's not uncommon to find myself in situations where someone without any context or introduction comes in expecting that they need to speak to me in a certain way based on their preconception of what I do. Now, I'm an architect during the week and I'll find myself going to meetings with subcontractors, contractors, other designers, And a lot of the time, the architect is painted in a certain picture based on their past experiences. And I'll go in having never met these people, and they'll think, oh yeah, I've got this guy sussed. Often what happens is, they'll have a list of preemptive things to justify themselves. So they'll put me on the back foot in terms of saying, you know, there's a mistake here, but it's not my fault, it's because it's your fault. Now this can make for pretty difficult meetings. It generally boils down to miscommunication, workloads, collective workloads, and ultimately the fact that these guys are probably not secure in their role. They don't want anyone, let alone this architect, to prove them wrong and somehow lose the respect of the client. This usually happens because people find so much worth in what they do. It's a doing culture. This is what I do. Their identity is in what their specific role is. And if they're not comfortable in that, they've got a point to prove. Insecurity makes committing to one another, in this case a team, but also a community difficult for you and the others involved. Particularly, as I say, if what you do is where you find your worth. And if that's not going so well, 
You're soon fighting not to feel worthless. Now, this is a specific example for me, but this can manifest in many different situations. It could be colleagues, it could be family members, because students. It could also be that awkward uh, shop assistant down the road. If you're unclear of your position, relationship, or identity, you will struggle with the level of commitment and trust you have with the other party. You'll become frustrated or eventually lose interest in pursuing it any further because your heart isn't fully committed to the relationship. If we, were secure of, if we are secure of our relationship, we no longer need to react to behavior, but we can act on certain irrefutable truths that all people are made in the image of God. However distorted that image might be, God has made us each unique, each irreplaceable, and therefore inordinately valuable. And that above all, we are holy and dearly loved by God himself. That's every one of us. When we treat those around us with contempt, by speaking harshly to them, comparing ourselves with them or undervalue them, undervaluing them, dismissing them, even in our minds, we are actually responding disrespectfully, disrespectfully to God and his passion for the people that he created. Now, even if their actions seem to justify our response, we are violating our Father's heart if we dishonor them, whether with our words, through our thoughts, or our actions. As Christians, we long to honor God in all things. But sometimes the way we treat ourselves and others reflects the culture that we live in rather than the reality of God's kingdom. So what are some of the ways that we can honor God in our relationships? The Galatians passage hopefully uh, helpfully defines our relationship with God. But if we look around the room today, do you see people as the image of God, seeing them as people Christ died for? seeing them as brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing them as those seated in heavenly places. Let's go back to my encounter with this uh, difficult uh, team member at at my site meeting. Here we are, I'm on the back foot. I've been left exposed by these preconceptions and I'm there looking at this guy, looking at our client, looking at all, all the other team members. Whether I like it or not, they're all now looking to see how I make the next move. How am I going to respond to these potentially false accusations? Now, I could get defensive. I could work hard to prove that I'm right and they're wrong. I could go further and start comparing my good work to their poor work and start belittling them. Now, this might win the argument eventually. But does this really help us work together? No. Now, my security doesn't come from what others think. And while I work hard to honor my bosses, I know that ultimately I'm loved by God. And I can take refuge in the truth that I could be the worst architect in this world and he'd still love me. Obviously, I don't declare that during this meeting. But this perspective, knowing that I'm loved, allows me to diffuse the barbs and look to share this love in these situations by looking how to bring my security in the Father and reliance on him into play for others. We live in a world that wants us to prove our identities, to find ourselves, to look inwards, 
in so many things. But simply knowing who you are in God brings you immense release and freedom as you walk the walk of faith. Remind yourself that you are loved by God. Honor him and see how he uses you. Now this is by no means the path of least resistance. It can be uncomfortable at times and it's deeper than putting on the facade of the better man, the better woman. And it's tough. We're tired, we're grumpy, we get offended. People disappoint us. Things can go on for a long time. Even in our church, loving one another, even the most unlovable, is so important. We're all familiar with how a mother would still say their child was theirs even if they were a drug-addicted thief. In the same way, God has imposed a reality of this when he adopted us. We became siblings with one another, no matter how crazy they are. And so we must treat them with love and respect, knowing that as Christ has done a work in us, he is doing a work in them also. In the worship this morning, Dan read out this verse. It's great, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and through Christ reconciled and through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us ministry of reconciliation. If we understand who we are and the value that God has for us and those around us, we can stand together three from judgment or fear and breathe out respect, encouragement, love, and commitment to one another wherever we go. Does that sound good? Great. My second community that I want to look at, characteristic, is a community in unity. This is a subject reasonably close to my heart. Uh, If you know me, you may have heard me uh, mention a few of these terms, but really firmly believe commitment to one another is God's plan. As we are made one with Christ, we are bound together as family. There is a deep relationship and we are glued together by supernatural love. This is what Andy was talking about last Sunday. In Jesus, we are made co-heirs in him and become sons and daughters of a living God. That's amazing. Does does that mean we all have to get along? As I've said before, some of these people really are weird. As I've mentioned, Hannah and I are involved in uh, doing marriage prep for some couples as they prepare to get married. Uh, Often in these times, Hannah and I will talk a lot and these people will listen a lot, and we're working with them, uh, working out all the different things that they're, they're going through. But more seriously, in his grace, God has taught us some valuable things that we love to share in the hope that when these two lovebirds finally have their first you know, big argument, they can look back and just think, well, at least it wasn't as bad as one of Sandy and Hannah's arguments. <laughs> You might have been to a wedding where the, the speaker has uh, mentioned this three-called rope, the husband, the wife, and the Holy Spirit. And if marriage has taught me anything, is that you need that third cord, the Holy Spirit. There are times in life where you, will know not, will, you do not know what to say. There will be problems you cannot fix, behavior you cannot explain. You will say things that are utterly stupid. And if you're looking for that relationship to save you, People will disappoint you. However, in marriage, you don't have the option of just flaking out. 
Don't have the option of just not texting back. Doesn't go down very well. You don't have the option of finding something or someone new. You have to work things out. And part of this is knowing that Christ is in you and your spouse also. It's also by asking the Holy Spirit to change you, asking him to give you wisdom, to give you grace in that moment, to give you peace. And as he does in his mercy, you'll know him working in you and through you for the betterment of your marriage. I totally appreciate for many of us here, you're not getting married, you're not getting married to me, and you're saying, this is all out of context. And you're right. But the point I'm making here is that there's something deeper than shared interest at work in our church. Our, su- our society loves superficial relationships as though we're all a maiden Chelsea, reading out these scripted lines, bouncing from friend to friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hannah, Hannah watches a lot of Maiden Chelsea. Uh, and I watch it too. Um, no, uh, don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> But what's displayed in these things isn't persevering in a deeper level of friendship. And if you know me, you might have heard me use the phrase, the friendship bump. Let's have the speed bump, yeah. This is the moment in a friendship where you perhaps had that kind of initial disagreement. You've come to loggerheads over an issue, maybe a slightly different priority. You've had a a slight uh, disagreement over something. And it sometimes takes you by surprise. Wow, you think that? Okay. Now you're faced with a question. Do you remove that person from your life or do you invite the Holy Spirit to give you grace to love them still? Do you die to your feelings, look to resolve and ultimately forgive them or look for them to forgive you? That should be easy in the knowledge that Christ has forgiven you. But this is uncomfortable and it does get messy But as we get over ourselves, we remove pride and fear from our relationships. And as we together ask for grace through the Holy Spirit, we can trust God with our relationships. And this means we can trust one another. I'm aware those of you with badly damaged relationships in the church might need help to be reconciled. And you'll need to pray for grace. We need to walk through these things. We will have a time to respond for that at the end of the meeting. Now, do we greet our brothers and sisters as those who we die for and know that they'd die for us? Acts 4, 32, 37, read verse 34 from that passage. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had the need. That's a wonderful picture of church. Do you have time? Do you have money? Do you have resources? What can you share that other people around us don't have? Think about that. We have a wonderful opportunity. And as that verse says, in him we have everything in common, serving together and working to build something far greater than a comfortable existence for ourselves. Now lastly, I want to speak on a community with purpose. We have something amazing from God. He gives us value and he helps us 
in our relationships. But that's not all. His plan is to display this to the rest of the world through what he has done for us. I've got a friend, Craig Jefferson, who's a painter. He uh, was my NAVS leader when I was in first year of uni uh, many years ago. Um, and he's now, he does some beautiful paintings uh, and sells them for a lot of money. Now, if I was to buy one of these paintings, I was to put it in a darkened room, you'd probably say, what was the point of you buying that painting if nobody can really see it? And you'd be right. I went to art school where there's plenty of people exhibiting work that you have to kind of clamber through darkened rooms to go and see a slideshow or whatever. If you've been to the ECA degree show, um, prepare yourselves uh, for what might be behind that curtain. But uh, it's usually good. Um, But no, we have something at work in us and amongst us here at King's that is so worth displaying. And that's God's plan for our community. Philippians 2.15 says that you, might be, that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. Now we live in a selfie culture. My phone's down there. We're all there taking selfies. Look at me. We're putting ourselves in the middle of situations. And we're sharing it with the world, looking for that affirmation. Affirm me. Look what I'm doing. Here's me. You're no longer turning your phone around and taking a photo of something and documenting it or whatever. It's all about what I'm doing, my experiences, my achievements. We look for that kind of affirmation. Now, in our church family, we don't just sort of flip the phone around. We do more stuff and do more stuff, striving to perfect situations. We put the phone down. And we look to display God's love. We look to display his peace, his forgiveness to those around us in our day-to-day. We become like my friend Ali did for me on that Saturday morning and persevered with one another, reminding our brothers and our sisters of the glory set before us. This is what this looks like. Romans 12, 9 to 12. Let love be genuine abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. This could mean opening up your home, even if it's a state, in order to show someone that you care. If you have a family, when I was a student, I was profoundly impacted when uh, various guys would just have me over, regardless of the state their house was in, simply to have a beer, to play on the Xbox, whatever. And it just showed me a level of care that, you know, they didn't mind the mess. Actually, what was important was building that relationship. And that's what showed me what Christian life was like. And I'm inspired to do that 10 years on. Now, this isn't just for families. If you have the opportunity... Have some people around for a movie. Go to the pub. Share life. Go on a cycle. Small groups are great places to share life and develop deep friendships and persevere with one another. We love those WhatsApp prayer requests. Now these might leave us feeling exposed or you might think, oh, this problem or what I'm facing isn't as bad as other persons. But what we're doing is making ourselves vulnerable and sharing life with one another. Pray with one another. And in doing that, God's love is displayed among us. 
Look for ways to be generous and to bring encouragement. You might even find you end up doing this outside of a church context. Remember, this is on display. Now, my colleague Rensha, who is also a member here at King's, she has, a, has a, a new daughter. She's taking some maternity leave, but she popped in recently into our office to kind of show off little baby Louisa. It was a lovely time. And in our conversation, we got talking about another couple who we were organizing a meal train for. That is when we all sign up to a poll uh, to make sure that uh, people can get regular meals in a, in a certain time. Now, my office manager overheard this conversation and went, what's that all about? She asked, do you do that? Oh, that's part of your church. Are you obliged to all do that? And surely that takes a lot of effort. And my response was, to be honest... Yeah, it takes a bit of effort, but you know what? We do it because we care about these people. We do this because we love them. We want to help them during this season. Now, in Christian culture, we might take that for granted. Of course we'll do that. But you know what? Our office manager was like, she was blown away. Wow, you do that? That's great. I wish I was part of a community like that. And we had a really good conversation after that. That's an example of church community shining out into a world that desperately needs this love. Now, I'm not Christianizing being nice. If we know Jesus is in us, allow him to speak to you about making bold choices. It takes guts not to choose a certain lifestyle, and it might mean some hard choices. It might mean sacrifice. It might mean persevering. Pray for grace in these times. The gospel compels us not to get cozy, to look for that chair scene, but to love for a greater purpose in displaying the hope we have in him, the love that he has for us. If we understand our identity in Christ, we can better love those around us, just as Christ loves us. And as we do that, we display this amazing, supernatural love to the world that we're in. Amen. Amen. I haven't mentioned this picture. This is the Brownlee brothers. If you know them, they're triathletes. Um, both brothers come into the end of a race and one of the brothers starts to stumble. He got dehydrated and was just burning out. You know the video. He turns, the brother turns around and helps him over the finish line. Brothers and sisters, are we here ready to help one another run the race of perseverance, run the race of faith, run that way to glory? Are we ready to do that? Wonderful. Well, let's respond. Why don't the band come up? I've got three, three responses, and we've got some flexibility this evening in terms of just praying for one another. Why do we stand? My first response is, do you know you're loved by the Father this evening? Do you know that love? Maybe you're not a Christian here and you've been striving, you've been looking for love, you've been disappointed by people, you've been striving and striving, trying to find that purpose. I'd love to let you know that there's a, a love that you don't have to do anything that we could not earn, you did not deserve, but that Christ Jesus came and died for you, that you might live. If you want to know that love, be reminded of that this evening. Why don't you respond and pray that God fills you with that love second point do you struggle to love others have you had a relationship and been badly damaged by that do you find it hard to trust and to leave yourself exposed or perhaps share with other people pray that God wants to come and remind you of his forgiveness for you 
But in that reminds you that you can forgive others, that you can know grace in that, that you can know mercy in that. And that's something we have to really trust him on. Third point, are you running the race? Are you running the race that's set before you, but feeling those headwinds? Have you lost sight of God's love and have you started adding your preferences, looking for the escape routes, looking for the easy option, pining after the train home? Believe me, God wants us to run the race in grace, to fully understand who we are and to know that we have a wonderful God who loves us no matter what. And that we're part of a family here at King's of brothers and sisters who are doing exactly the same. So if you feel stirred by any of these three things, why don't you, just as we're standing, let's close our eyes. If you just want to respond, why don't you stick your hands up like this. I'm just going to pray for you as we're here. So Lord God, I just thank you for your love. I thank you that you sent your son to die. But in his resurrection, we can know new life. Lord, we thank you that it is finished. You have done it. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. I thank you that that's the truth and we can come in and know that truth. Lord God, I pray that we'd know the Father's love. We'd know acceptance and peace in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us, that we need in our weakness, you are our strength. And Lord, when we're damaged by difficult relationships, when we're persevering with just awkward people, Lord, we thank you that actually you give us grace, you give us strength, and Lord, that you forgave us. Help us to remember that as we forgive others. Lord, I pray for grace and peace by the Holy Spirit just to touch people just now. Are you running the race and feeling those headwinds? You're running the race that's set before you, but you're just aware of the the easy option. You're aware of the, the escape routes, your own preferences. Are you putting yourself above the gospel message? Lord God, remind us of what you have done for us. And Lord, we just thank you for this church. We thank you for this community of believers, each running their race. But Lord, help us to one another well, to to be brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage one another. And Lord God, not to choose the comfortable option, but to commit to one another. Lord, help us get over ourselves and love each other well. Pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us afresh? We pray. Fill us afresh. Give us the strength to go about our day to day knowing that ye, we are loved by the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.